Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Last week was really hard for me. We were, we were, just, we were not able to gather here, but it was also a good reminder that, as Yogi said earlier, we should be thankful all the time. That there's things that, because they're always there, we sometimes start to take them for granted, to think that, you know, there's never going to be a moment, that there's something that we have that, it might be gone, but that's the reality sometimes. There's, there's that thing that you're not appreciating it as much as you should, and then it gets removed, and you realize how much it means to you. And one of the things that I probably didn't realize was how much it means to me to sort of be with you guys and to get up and handle the word and, and be your, one of your pastors. And I'm grateful that I'm back and I get to uh, do that. I mean, last week I didn't stop being your pastor. I just didn't see some of you. Uh, but Philippians 2, and the, our, our message title today is Side by Side. And today's message is going to be on this idea of unity. And the Webster's Dictionary defines unity as a condition of harmony, a continuity in purpose or action. See, unity between people is extremely important. When teams lack unity, they don't meet their goals. When families lack unity, it, the, the people in the family scatter. When companies lack unity, employees bicker, they fight when that unity is missing. When marriages lack unity, they fall apart, they break down. In Psalm 133, verse 1, God highlights for us the importance of unity. He says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Unity in the church delights God. See, when it comes to unity in the church, it's not optional. It's essential. Unity in the church is not optional. It's essential. And that's what, in this part of the letter, this is what Paul wants for the church at Philippi. He wants to see them in unity. But unity is not an easy thing to have in church. We get that, right? Because Christians are still working through the brokenness that is in us, and so there's, there's a struggle sometimes for unities. Christians, they fight with each other. Christians gossip about one another. They slander one another. Christians in church mistreat one another, and so the unity is not easy to maintain that the Spirit creates. But even though it's not easy, it is possible. It's not impossible to have it. And that's why the passage today is so important for us as a young church. It's going to show us why unity is essential and how we can live in order to have it and maintain it. See, a, a church that is strong in unity, a church that is together, that is working side by side, is a church that will help to advance the gospel. In our passage today, we're going to see two reasons, two reasons why we should strive for unity. Here's the first one. The reality 
of opposition outside. The reality that we face opposition, verse 27 says, only let the manner of your of life, of your life, be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Here it is, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. To this point in the letter, Paul has been explaining, you know, how he's doing. He's saying, you know, I'm in jail, yes, but I'm still rejoicing. I'm thankful because the gospel is advancing, but now he shifts to talk about some things that he wants to see happen in the church at Philippi. And the first thing he tells them is that he wants them to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. Lives that are worthy of the gospel. And here's what D.A. Carson said on this verse. He said, to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ does not suggest that we should try harder in order to secure something but argues that because something has already been secured for us, we should try harder out of gratitude and out of a frank recognition that this is what the gospel has saved us for. So Christians don't live their lives doing what God commands because they're trying to earn God's grace. Christians do what God commands because they're already in his grace. They're already experiencing the grace of the gospel, and that's why we do what we do. We do these things because we're standing in grace, not because we're hoping that God will give it to us. And so he says, live in a worthy manner. Now, if you have an ESV Bible, you should notice that next to the word worthy, there's a footnote. And if you follow the footnote to the bottom, you should see that this verse could be translated, only behave as citizens worthy. Only behave as citizens that are worthy. So the question we should ask is, citizens of where? Am I supposed to live as a, a worthy citizen of Toronto? Is that, is that what I'm supposed to do? If I'm supposed to live as a worthy citizen, where is it? Where is it talking about? Where is my citizenship? Well, look at chapter 3, verse 20. It says, But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are citizens of heaven. Heaven is our home. And that's why sometimes, you ever feel this? You feel this tension sometimes when you're with unbelievers? That's why there's this tension. Because this is not your home. And the values and habits of heaven, they run, rub up against the values and habits of our culture. And that's why there's this tension sometimes. And even though we're called by Jesus Christ to love and to serve and help those who don't believe like we do, we are never to allow those who don't believe like we do to shape our values and our habits. We love them, we spend time with them, all of those things, but we are never to allow those values that they promote that is against the word of God to shape us and define the way we live. See, unified together, we must live out, live out lives that match our citizenship and our identity. We live lives that match where we're headed. And so he tells them to live worthy of the gospel, and then he tells them how to do it. Only let the, verse 27, only let the manner 
of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the, for the, for the faith of the gospel. See, Paul, again, as we've been learning, he doesn't know if he's going to get back to them. Again, in that culture, if you went to jail, you don't know if you're going to get out. You might get killed. But he says, even if I don't get back, I want to hear a report that you are standing together, that you are unified. It says, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He wants them defending the gospel together. That word striving speaks of effort and hard work. It takes work. Advancing the gospel is not easy. It's not for lazy people. It takes hard work to strive together. And when we as a church and individually come together and work, the thing we've got to keep in mind is as we are working, our labor will not be in vain. That's what the Bible says. Jesus is alive. He is risen from the grave, ruling and reigning over everything. And so the work that we do now will not be in vain. We will see the results. We will, we will experience the reward that comes with laboring for Christ. That phrase, side by side, the phrase is side by side, one spirit, one mind, continues to press this idea of unity. And the unity Paul calls for, we actually see this modeled in God. Do you know that? This unity that we are to live with is modeled in God, everything that God has done, he has done in unity. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, all working together in creation, in salvation, in new creation, in perfect unity. And now as his children, we are called together to live and reflect that unity, to image God well as we spread the gospel. And when, we come, when it comes to spreading the gospel, we will have opponents. Some, we just have to let that settle in on us. Because sometimes people present like coming to Christ means that it's always going to be some easy thing that's going to now you know, be in your life. No. If we commit to spreading and sharing the gospel, we are going to have opponents. Verse 28 and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is, a clear, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. The people at Philippi, they're, they're, they're sharing, they're spreading, they're doing the work, and now they're being opposed. And Paul says to not be frightened by this. They're not to cower in a corner, wondering what is going to happen to them. He's saying, do not be frightened. And this is such a good word for us. Because don't you feel afraid sometimes? When you see the way the culture is changing towards the church and towards the gospel, sometimes it can be fr feel frightening. What's going to happen at my job is I, if I actually stand up for my faith? What's going to happen to my kids if I tell them this is what is true about God, this is what's true about your body, all those kind of things? What's going to happen to them? Doesn't that, it feels frightening. But the Bible says we are not to be afraid. 
We are not to be frightened in anything. And you're sitting there, you're like, okay, what would help me not be afraid? Prayer. That, the way you kill fear and anxiety in your life is by going to God. Is by saying to him, I have opponents who are real. I have things in my life that are causing me to fear. I am struggling and I need you to deal with this anxiety, the struggle that I have. You deal with the opponents, God, because I cannot do it. And help me to trust you in the midst of it. And you bring me, God, this peace that surpasses all understanding. Trusting that God will protect us as we stand for our faith. See, as the Philippians and us stand together, Paul says it will be a sign to their opponents of their destruction. They will, they will realize that they're fighting a losing battle. They will also see that they're actually fighting against God. And you're, you're wondering, when Jesus says, pray for those who oppose you, pray for those who persecute you, this is why. Because though it feels like it's against us, on one level that is true, but on a very bigger and deeper level, the battle that they're fighting is against God. And at the end of their life, that is who they're going to have to stand before. And so we pray for them. Yes, sometimes when people oppose us, it hurts, it's tough, it's not easy to forgive them, but we pray for them because when they stand before God, if they're outside of Jesus Christ, that will not go well for them. And so we pray and ask God to change them. Think about the person who's writing this letter. Do you know Paul? If you read Acts 9, what he's doing is he's on his way to kill Christians, He's, he was an active opposer. So think of the person who's opposing you the most right now. Do you look at that person and think they could be changed? Because they can. That is the reality. Because Paul, on his way, meets Jesus Christ. And his life is completely changed. And so we pray for those who persecute us. That God would save them. So that they would no longer oppose Christians. But that they would have faith in Christ so that it goes well for them in the end. Standing firm shows our opposers that they're fighting a losing battle, but it shows us something as well. Did you see it? It's in verse 28. It says it's a sign of your salvation. It shows us something as well. When we stand firm, when the, when the persecution is heavy, but you're standing there anyway saying, I'm not moving off of this, it shows that your faith is real. It shows that you believe that God is going to make things right. See, in their hard time, Paul wants them to have the right perspective. That's the, that's the goal here. He wants them to have the right perspective. That's why he says what he says next. Look at verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. He's honest with them. He's saying this is granted. That word is so important. God has given us, in this verse we see God has given us two things. He's given us the gift of salvation, and that is true. John 6 
44 says, no one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws him. God gifts salvation. It's a, it's a work of God. We cannot save ourselves. Do you understand that? And all of us have this longing, longing for eternal life. And if God does not do it, we would not have it. He is the one who does the work. God gives us belief, but he also gives us the gift of suffering. We like the first one. He gives us salvation, but he also gives us suffering. Again, that may have been surprising for them to hear or surprising for us to hear, you know, like having an unexpected birthday party. You're like, oh. But it is true. It says it has been granted to you to suffer for the sake of Christ. The opposition they're experiencing is a gift from God. It's part of the discipleship program. See, Paul can describe this as a gift Because God in his good providence, he uses the opposition. He uses that to mold them. He uses that to mold us and to advance the gospel in the world. That his mission would go forward. Paul wants to encourage them in the struggle. He wants them to know that God is in control. See, sometimes when things get get, hard... When the struggle comes in, that's, that's what goes from our mind, that somehow this is out of God's control. There's nothing in your life, I've said this before, going on that's out of the control of God. He has all of it, and Christians in this room and around the world need to not forget this. Because we will face opposition in different ways. That's just true. And if you haven't faced it yet, you will. And for some people around the world, the opposition they face is the threat of death. To be a Christian in some parts of the world can cost you your life. That is a true reality. We don't feel that yet, but you don't know if that's going to happen. But all of us on different levels will face the, the struggle sometimes of being alienated from people who love us. And we love back because we're, we're saying, this is my view. This is true from the word of God. And we start to realize they're not into that. And so you feel excluded. You feel isolated. Well, in those moments, don't forget that God is in control. That he means even that for your good. That you are suffering for the sake of Christ. And that makes it Worth it because as we stand firm in it, we will see God work in us, molding us. He will use our unity as we stand together to advance the gospel and grow us. And we will see the good results in the end. Paul says, you are engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and still have. Again, Acts, the book of Acts helps us to understand what he's saying here. In Acts 16, verse 22, you will find, if you read it, that Paul, while in Philippi, was captured and beaten with rods. 
He's doing the work of an evangelist. They capture him, they beat him with rods, and they throw him in jail. So when he says, you saw the struggle I had, the Philippians would have remembered that. They would have been like, oh yeah, we did see that. Paul is trying to say to them, what you're going through is the normal thing that every Christian goes through on different levels. See, he tells them this because he wants them to respond well. F.F. Bruce said, he says, here it is. F.F. Bruce, he says, Paul, in writing this, is saying to them, you are sharing in my ministry, not only by your gospel witness, but also by your endurance of affliction and the cause of the gospel. Paul had no need to enter into the particulars that they knew all too well. What matters was the spirit in which they accepted persecution. What mattered to him was how they responded, the spirit in which they accepted it. And remember, remember how we've been learning. How's Paul been responding? He's in jail. And multiple times he says, but I rejoice. You think that the gospel work has stopped, but it hasn't. And so I'm rejoicing. That's what he wants here. He wanted them to rejoice in their suffering. He didn't want them to cower away. He didn't even want them to give up. He wanted them to give thanks to God. And that's why he reminds them that they are not alone. Do you know that's one of Satan's greatest strategies in your life? When you are going through something, the first thing he will try to do is make you think that it's unique to you. That there's no one in the world who is going through what you are going through or or has gone through it. And he's trying to do that in order to rob you of your joy that you should have because you're in Christ. And so Paul says you're not alone. And then he also reminds them that God is in control, that it's part of his plan. And when we remember these things, these will help us to rejoice, unified together. And so they need to stand together because of what's going on outside, but they need to stand together because of what can happen inside. Chapter 2, verse 1, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Here's the second reason we are to strive for unity, the possibility of dissension within. Because something can happen inside our church. Paul in verse 1 rhymes off a list of things, and I don't want us to miss them. And so here they are. Any encouragement in Christ speaks of the way God comforts Christians in their suffering. Any comfort from love speaks of the mutual affection that Paul and the Philippians have for each other and that we should have for one another within the church. Any participation in the Spirit speaks of the way the Holy Spirit helps believers in their weakness. If you ever feel weak, that is a good moment in your life. Because as you turn and ask God to help you, you will become stronger because the Spirit begins to work in you. Any affection and sympathy speaks of the compassion Paul and the Philippians feel for each other in their struggle. 
And that word, if, can be translated since. And so Paul is saying here, since all of these things are true, since this is our reality together as brothers and sisters in Christ, because these things are true, because these things have happened, there's a certain way we are to live together. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. See, living like this stifles dissension, and it strengthens unity in the church. And Paul says, if you live this way, it will make my joy complete. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Don't be, don't be selfish. Don't just think about yourself. Don't act in prideful and deceitful ways. See, selfishness and pride destroys unity in the church. If you're a person who comes into the church only thinking about yourself, only thinking about what you can, can get, you will destroy the unity that is within the church. But humility, humility causes unity to grow. See, humility makes us count others more significant than ourselves. Humility makes us look not only to our interests, but also theirs. But that's not easy for us. It's not easy for us to look. It doesn't come natural to human beings to look to the interests of others. That's why we cut people off in traffic. That's why we run red lights. That's why when you're behind that person in the grocery store who's price matching, you're so frustrated. And you're, you're like, they're still using flyers. It's that struggle, it, it just, it's not natural for us to consider the interests of others. See, for us to regularly look to the interests of other people, it has to be a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we start every day by saying, Spirit, fill me in a new and fresh way so that I could go out and live considerate of other people. And when we pray this way, you know what happens? Our eyes come off of ourself and our, the Spirit causes our eyes to go on to Jesus Christ, the truly humble one. You want to you wanna know how you can actively and regularly look to the interests of others? You have to look at Christ. Because this is what he did in our lives. He looked to our interests above his own. Look over at verse 8. It says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus sacrificed himself. He gave himself up in order to free us and save us from our selfishness and from our pride. And now, if we're in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, it is possible for us to consider other people more significant. It's possible for us to actively look to their interests. This, we can do it. 
It's not impossible for us to live this way. And when we do, unity comes and unity is strong. And so I want to give us some practical ways how I can consider other people more significant and how I can look to the interests. Here's the first list. Listening well when others speak. You want to consider other people more significant? Just stop talking. Listen to them. Listen to understand, not just to respond. That is a way you can consider other people more significant, seeking opportunities to serve others. How can I actively serve the people God has placed in my life? Giving your time to those in need. All of us know people who have different needs. And a way that we can consider them more significant is by going out of our way to help them. Celebrating, this one's hard, celebrating the success of others. That's, that's a hard thing for people to do. To look and see somebody, maybe somebody at your work gets the promotion and you didn't. To see somebody doing something that you want to do but you can't get to do it. And actually going. That's not easy. Most times we're like, why wasn't it me? Here are all the ways I'm doing things better than that person. Here's all the ways I'm better than that person just in general. Here are all the problems in that person's life. Blah, 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 blah. Self, self, self. Me, me, me. Me, me, me. But just celebrating. Celebrating them. Even if it's a person who you're like, I'm not even sure if they fully deserve that. But I'm going to trust and celebrate that in their lives. That's the way we can consider other people significant. Here are ways we can look to the interests of others. Praying for others. Actively making a point, choosing a day in the week. I'm going to pray for that person. Calling on God to do the, to do the thing that, is, that needs to be done in that person's life. And maybe even using me to help that person. Just regularly going on our knees and crying out to God for them. Giving financially to, to others in need. Again, looking, saying that person has a need. I can meet it here. I'm going to sacrifice and do this for them. Living patiently with others. We all have people in our life that we're like, I, you know, you're right here and I wish you were right here. But we're not their whole, the Holy Spirit in their life. And so we need to be patient and saying, I'm just going to be patient with you and trust that God is going to work in you in the ways that he wants when he's good and ready, but I'm just going to continue to show you grace and actually ask you to show me grace when you realize that I'm not as perfect as I think I am. And so being patient with other people, speaking the truth in love. Sometimes we see people and we're like, there's something that that person needs to hear, but we don't tell them. And you think you're actually loving that person. You're not. You're loving yourself. Because sometimes the reason why we don't say the truth to people is we're afraid of how they're going to respond to us. But if you see something in a person's life and you're like, they need to hear this because if they hear this, it's going to be for their better. Then you speak and you speak with gentleness. You speak with respect. You speak with love. You speak in a way that is redemptive. Like I want, this is for your good. That's why I'm saying it. But I'm okay with whatever way you respond. So often sometimes we live in a culture where it's like, don't tell people the truth. Just tell them what they want to hear. God says, no, tell one another the truth and then come alongside to help them walk in that thing that you're saying. So we speak the truth in love. And here's a really big one. Fighting our temptation to sin. 
fighting our temptation to sin. Sometimes we think that that thing that we're doing, that thing that we're about to do is only, you know, has consequences for us. That's not true. Sin has consequences for everybody in your life. It just, it, it ripples out. When the rock drops into the water, it just starts to spread. And so sometimes when you're about to do that thing again, just stop for a second and just ask the question, who will this affect? Is it just me? Or does this have consequences for multiple people in my life? And so often the answer is yes. And so yes, the the temptation comes up, but we can fight that temptation by the power of the Holy Spirit when just for a moment we stop thinking about ourselves and start thinking about those who are in our lives and we don't give in both for our good and the glory of God and their Good, and so we can fight sin and have victory over sin. Paul's desire is that their relationship will demonstrate a humility that promotes the good of others, even at personal expense. When we live like this, you'll see unity in your home. You'll see unity in your workspace. You'll see unity in this church. This is what we see in the life of Jesus Christ, considering other people's interests above his own. That's why he is worthy, worthy of all praise because Jesus looks at us and he says, they're in need and I am willing, willing to go and sacrifice so that they can be saved. And when we look to him and work side by side, seeking to advance the gospel corporately and individually, full of humility, our church will have strong and beautiful unity. Again, because it's not optional. It's essential. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray and thank you, Lord God, for your Son, Jesus Christ, who is worthy of all praise. who gave uh, himself for us so that we could be freed from a selfishness and a pride that destroys the unity that the Holy Spirit has brought to your church. And Father, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would help us to be ready that there will be moments of opposition that we will face. But Lord God, we are not in those moments alone. Lord, you are with us. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are with us. And Lord, even in the opposition that we'll face, it is not wasted. Because you use the suffering that comes from that to mold us, to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ, and to advance your mission in the world. And Father, I pray that as we consider the things that are going on outside that cause us to be frightened at times, I pray that we would have no fear because we are depending on you, that we are pleading with you to take care of us. And God, knowing and seeing the things that can happen inside, I pray you'd help us to fight, fight for unity so that we would reflect so beautifully what we see in you 
Father, Son, and Spirit all working together for our good. And so I pray that you would help us, Lord God. And God, again, we pray and thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who is worthy of all praise, who makes these things possible in our lives because he gave himself for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.